Welcome back to the Hollis Guy Podcast. We are your hosts, Steven. And Kyle. And I just told Kyle that Limbiscuit has a new album out, and he is stoked. I am pretty excited about that. <laughs> so, that's good news for everyone. Yes, yes. Everyone. Um, today, I'm going to dive down the rabbit hole that is the Finder's Cult. I am not fully done researching it, but we are going to work our way through some of it today and kind of just go from there. But we'll talk about that later. First, we got to get through the business. Check us out at all our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. Come and hang out. You know the drill. If you have a paranormal experience you'd like to share with us for a future episode, Kyle's going to tell you how to do it. Same old, same old. You can record it with your smartphone. You can record it with a video. Just send it over to the email, gmail.com. You can call or text the holophone now, which the number is in the show notes. Virtually everything's in the show notes now. Um, I do have another slight call to arms. Um, and it's not going to be an appealing one. I realize this. But with that being said, um, we are eventually going to have to change our intro song. Oh. I know it's a touchy subject. <clears throat> and everybody unfollows. Well, it is what it is. So, with that being said, if anybody out there knows audio people or you are an audio person, hit us up. We need an intro song. We need to be copyright free. Yeah, because while, granted, we do have permission from Neo Geo to use his song as our yeah, intro. it's copyright. We do not have Fox's permission to use the X-Files theme. Yeah, it's just one of them things that it, it's going to eventually spearhead and... We will not beat Fox. No. No. We could go down swinging, but... We would go down. We would go down. Right. So, I don't know. We need some help. If you guys could answer our call again, I'd really fucking appreciate you. Uh, that's about it, really. And, I mean, we can work the details out once you get in touch with us. Yeah, Figure just make some something shit out. Yeah, we need some. we need something cool. Something epic. Limp Biscuit, if you're listening to this, DJ Lethal, uh, make us an intro. Oh, I tried hitting up the Browning. And they said, fuck you. They just didn't even respond. Oh, yeah. I, I messaged them from the Hollis Guy podcast on Instagram. And they messaged you back and said, LOL. No, they they probably didn't even read the fucking thing. Cool. And I was like, yo, dude, you guys seem like you're in some weird shit. If you want to come on and talk about some weird shit, get at us. And they said. And they just said, fuck you. No. I'm like, cool. Well, there is that. Cool. But, yeah, send us some cool shit. My, my idols have abandoned me. As they always do. <laughs> if you'd like to support the show, there's tons of ways you can do it. We got a Patreon. We have a Venmo. Uh, links are in the show notes. Thanks to everybody who keeps us running on those. You guys are the best. Um, you can always, the most important thing is to tell your weird friends, anybody that listens to podcasts, anybody that's into paranormals, cons paranormal conspiracies, mysteries, shoot our name out there, send a link. Get us out there. Maybe we'll garner some fans. Yeah. And that helps us out a bunch. <clears throat> um, Five-star rating and review. Wherever you listen to your podcast, hop over there, 
take just a couple seconds, leave us a five-star rating, you know, a nice review, leave us some nice words, and I'll gladly shout you out on a future episode. Still doing ones from across the pond, as they say. Um, this is from our friend, The Meat, 22,016. The Meat says, proper dope. Chilled and weird podcast. Love the stories. Keep up the good work. Thanks, The Meat. Oh, I like it. <laughs> I like it. The names are the best. That's my favorite the part. The Meat. The Meat. Interesting. Thank you, Meat. Reminds me of Porky's. For listening to our show and leaving us the kind words. It does help us get out there, get our name out there, <clears throat> push us up the charts a little bit to where people search Paranormal Podcasts will eventually show up. And the sooner the better. Yeah. yeah. So it does matter, and we do appreciate you all. On to our listener experience of the day. This comes to us from our friend... Uh, I don't know where I put it. I don't fucking know. I don't know. Let He'll, me check. They'll probably say Luke. Luke. Our friend Luke. Kyle had it already up and ready to go, and I already had it put over in this email. Sorry about it. So here is Luke's experience. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Luke from Oregon. Uh, and giving you guys a holler. Hope things are good. Uh, I just kind of wanted to bring up something that I found out recently from my mom, of all people. Um, she, Our family is pretty, you know, closed, private, I guess. Not really closed up, but we're pretty private in... We don't talk about paranormal stuff um, or anything like that. So uh, we got a couple weeks ago, for some reason, the paranormal topic got brought up, and I kind of happened to mention that I'd, you know I'd seen something weird at my friend's house after we were uh, at a pub and stuff, and as a, as a shadow person. And then suddenly she just went on the storytelling spree. Um, like as a kid, she had had a lot of paranormal experiences. Uh, one specifically where she was hanging out in this abandoned housing area, a bunch of buildings that were just, you know, hanging out by themselves, empty. She's crouched down, facing a building, doing something, and something shook her by the shoulders and told her to get up and turn around. And when she did, she realized there was a guy dressed in um, a white suit, of all things, um, with no shoes, and he was about 10 feet away from her. So he'd walked up behind her without her knowing. And uh, I don't know if I mentioned that she was only about eight years old, so that's screaming pedo material right there, or something along those lines. Like he was trying to coax her to go with her, uh, with him, and she took off. And there was nobody else there, so that was something was looking out for her. Um, and then later, um, when my sister and I were small, I was probably about seven or eight. Um, she said that there were several times where she'd wake up around three thirty, four in the morning, and um, her room was across from my my sister in my room, and she would see a shadow person walk out of our bedroom every once in a while. I'm not sure how often it happened. She wasn't. She didn't disclose that. I didn't pry, but. Apparently, after after every time she'd seen the shadow person come out of the room, every time I would get sick later on in that morning. It'd always be like the flu or something, you know. 
And I remember as a kid being sick a lot. Like basically the first 10 or 11 years of my life were just like twice, three times a week being up at night. And um, that's probably probably why I'm such a night owl now. It's like I never slept. Uh, that kind of was interesting for me because, first of all, it explains a lot of, I guess I had a lot of night terrors growing up and very lucid ones and repeating ones, ones that would repeat repeat for weeks and sometimes uh, months on end. And there was times where I'd have dreams that were very lucid and then the next day it's like I'm living my dream. is like everything that was in my dream I was going through, even down to what people were wearing. Or, you know, I can write that off as just, you know, some deja vu-ish, but, you know, the, the night terrors make sense. Like, okay, maybe this shadow thing was, you know, doing something to my brain when I was trying to sleep. But anyway, so, um, you know, it also got me wondering, you know, maybe this is a generational thing. Like, if my mom was dealing, I can see stuff like that. Who who knows what other stuff happened to her as a kid? And, you know, my dad said when we were talking about that, when she's bringing that stuff up, that he's never seen anything. And, uh, so I know it's from her side. So it makes me wonder if my grandma, her mom's mom, has dealt with stuff. And I know you guys have dealt with stuff in your life that's been pretty weird. And, uh, you know, it kind of makes you wonder, like, which side of your family does it come down from, you know? And if it's generational. So that was kind of something I, I was thinking about earlier and thought I'd just um, share it because that was a, a major revelation for me about why all, all through my life, it, you know, it went from dreams and bad bad dreams, things like that, being sick a lot. And then right around my late 20s, it it changed into seeing, and seeing stuff. It, it switched. So I... I don't really have any bad dreams anymore, but now I'm seeing shit, you know? So it's, I guess, uh, following in my mom's footsteps a bit there. Um, cause uh, you know, the, around the time that she was seeing sh- the shadow people when I was a kid, I'm now her age or around her age. And I, that was about what, f- four years, five years ago, I started seeing shadow things and yeah, so it's right around the same time frame. She was seeing them when she was younger. That I started seeing them now, so pretty weird. It's um, I'm not sure if there's anything to it, but when she shared that stuff, th- these are the things that I started thinking about. So it makes you wonder, you know, maybe you guys, you know, have something on your family side, mom or dad's side, that's uh, that they've had weird stuff happen, and I don't know if you've talked to them about it or not, or if that's even a thing to be able to do. You know, some parents just want to. They want to keep to themselves, you know, and not not be weird, appear strange to their kids, you know, whatever, and uh, or just appear strange in general. But anyway, just thought I would share that because that was that was really interesting, and uh, she she probably won't ever talk about it again. But so it was a very unique uh, family situation. So you guys uh, take it easy, um, and uh, I'll, I'll catch you uh, catch you later. Bye bye. Thanks so much for sharing you and your mother's stories, Luke. Um, it definitely f- seems like your mom is in touch with uh, something. Like the first, 
the first story with the creepy dude behind her, it almost feels like either she was so in touch with her intuition or that something from beyond this world was looking out for her to give her that warning, you know, hey, look behind you. And I have heard other accounts of it or of these things being tied to a family, being generational. So that's not a far-fetched idea, really. No. Um, as far, I know that we've had on, on my mom's side of the family, we have had some paranormal goings on that I've heard about, but I haven't heard so much about it from my dad's side of the family. If they did, it never really came up in conversation. So as I was listening, I decided to start Googling and seeing if poltergeists can cause sickness. And I came across this Wikipedia page talking about uh, ghost sickness, which... Uh, It says it's a cultural belief among some indigenous people of North America where if you're around, preoccupied, and thought about the deceased a lot, this ghost sickness will kick in and affect you. Reported symptoms include general weakness, loss of appetite, suffocating feelings, reoccurring nightmares, uh, pervasive feeling of terror. The sickness is attributed to ghosts or occasionally to witches or witchcraft. Some other um, symptoms are withdrawal and psychic numbing, anxiety, hypervigilance, guilt, as well as identification with ancestral pain and death and chronic sadness and depression. So it would be easy to link some of these things to the sick feelings that you had after you had seen this entity in your house. That's way different than what I thought it was going to go. Like yeah. when it, when you initially, I saw a ghost sickness there, I thought maybe like how sometimes they uh, zap batteries and shit to like draw energy. To manifest, I thought that was more or less why you would be getting sick because it's drawing energy from you to manifest itself. And that description there almost makes me feel like that it goes their definition of ghost sickness is more of like being in a mental state, like a fucked up state. Yeah, like you're just you're just consumed. Right. So Which I, I mean like I, I mean would would make now if if you were seeing shadow people all the time and it, it scared the fuck out of you, then yeah. Because we all know what, you know, what you could be, what you could describe as stress can do to you. Stress can yeah. do really bad things to you. And if it, you obsessed over seeing shadow people constantly, it's going to mess with you. And it, it's like, it's almost like a way to uh, perceive grief. You know, like, yeah, like if you're around something traumatic and something um, horrible's happened, that this is sort of a way of dealing with it and resolving that whole grief process is like this manifesting, which I don't know what what you had going on in your life at that time, if it was anything at all. It could just like this was just something I was throwing out there. It could be that this whatever this entity was in your house, every time you saw it, it got you sick. It, It. 
it could be just that, that it was having this negative effect on you. Right. It was like Kyle said, drawing energy from you, like, like taking a battery to charge itself up. So I don't, I don't know, man. It's wild. Well, the other, I, the other curious thing is that it could be tied to witchcraft as well. Yeah. And if this is a generational thing, because if he said, you know, he's starting to see things like his mom did, right? Yeah. I mean, it would, it would suggest that there's a lineage of it. You know what I mean? Could, so I'm not saying <laughs> that like your mom was a witch or anything, but is it possible that further on down the family tree somewhere? Somebody got into something a little wonky and started passing this through the you know the lineage there. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know. Something man. to consider, I guess. It is weird. It says some manifestations of unresolved grief include seeking visions of spirits of deceased relatives, obsessive reminiscing about the deceased, longing for and believing in a reunion with the deceased, fantasies of reappearance of the disease deceased, and beliefs in one ability to project oneself into the future or from the past, which falls into his dreams right? about being able to see. So I don't know if you were experiencing a lot of grief at that time. It, I mean, there could be something to this, just something to think about because I hadn't heard anything about it. I'm just reading straight off the Wikipedia because I, this is something completely new to me, but it was right. just kind of weird how it started to tie in when I was searching for something completely different. But I do appreciate you sending it in. Um, if anybody else would like to send an experience in for us to talk about on a future show, check the show notes. And here we are. Today. Gonna get I've heavy. I've started. Let me preface this. First off, huge trigger warning in this episode. It deals with sexual abuse and exploitation of children it's a heavy topic i get it i do not blame you if you click off and skip this episode just putting that out there before we dive into it that being said i've started digging into the finder's cult i've been working on this for probably two weeks now and i don't feel any closer to anything than before but we're going to go down this rabbit hole together. I found the FBI.gov um, declassified files. There are 600 pages to this finder's file. And I'm about 200 deep. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It's not in chronological order. They just threw everything in these three different file folders and said, here you go. So I'm kind of going piece by piece, digging from one section writing the the information down and then I kind of plug it in as I go. So it's right. trying to put it in a chronological order f to present is hard, so bear with me. I've also watched a ton of YouTube videos that cover and pick pieces here and there and I'm trying to plug them in and we're just going to see how it goes. But this is part one of how I don't know how many parts because, like I said, I'm 200 pages of 600 in and uh, it's... We're here for it, so. The Finder's Cult. On Wednesday, February 4th, 1987, the Tallahassee Police Department received an anonymous telephone call pertaining to two well-dressed white men in Myers Park, Tallahassee, Florida. The men were wearing suits and ties and apparently watching over six dirty, unkept children in the playground area of the park. 
when responding officers approached the men, they refused to identify themselves. They just stated that they were the children's teachers and that they were going to drop them off at a school for brilliant children. The children, however, were in awful condition compared to their well-dressed keepers. They were very dirty, bruised, covered in insects by insect bites, and it is noted that most of the children were not wearing underwear whenever they were checked out. It was apparent that they had not bathed in quite some time. All appeared to be hungry, disheveled, and were reported to be acting like animals in the park. The men appeared to be driving a 1979 Dodge van with Virginia license plates. Upon further investigation, it is stated that all eight people seemed to have been living in the van for some time. The van was reported to be foul-smelling, filled with maps, books, letters, a Chinese to English dictionary, a bunch of files and records, a computer or multiple computers. I found different accounts of that, even in the FBI files. It was so disheveled and so just, it was terrible. But they had a computer or multiple computers, computer discs, a U.S. passport, as well as a mattress that was placed in the back of the van. A piece of paper was found in the van that was titled The Ballad of Ballads. The ballad made reference to a warehouse, a house in the mountains, as well as Miami, Hawaii, San Diego, and China. So keep those places in the back of your mind. Upon seeing the children, the officers immediately took the men into custody on the grounds of child neglect and endangerment. Upon being taken into custody, the two men refused to cooperate with the police. Uh, How did I give these men's name? I don't think I did. No. So one of them even faking a seizure and passing out while being questioned. He had to be carried into the police department. The other man simply handed them the police a business card, including a name on one side and a statement on the other. The statement indicated that the owner knew his constitutional rights to remain silent and intended to do so. The Tallahassee Police Department immediately contacted the U.S. Customs because of a suspicion that the men may be involved in CP, which I will not be mentioning because of YouTube uh, algorithms and stuff like that. So they may have been involved in CP and that they knew that the customs had a vast network of investigators in the CP and protections unit. When customs agents arrived on the scene, they discovered that the police department had two very well-dressed men in custody. Upon going through contents of the van, custom agents later identified the men as Michael James Howell and Douglas Armerman. They also used information found on the files in the computer to link the inhabitants of the van to a couple locations in Washington, D.C. They also used the information to help kind of narrow down the identities of the children. One, a white female age seven was named Mary, a white male age six named Max, a white male age four named Benjamin, white female age three that went by the name Honeybee, white male age two named B.B., and a white, another white male, age two, named John Paul. According to a customs memorandum, the police officers stated that upon interviewing the children, they found that the kids could not identify themselves or their keepers. The officers stated that the children did not understand the functions of basic everyday items, including telephones, televisions, typewriters, staplers, or even indoor plumbing. 
Most of the children kept silent, and they assumed they could not talk except for Mary. She stated that the men were indeed their teachers and that they were en route to Mexico to attend, quote, a school for smart kids. When asked what the men were teaching her and the other children, she only stated that the men were teaching them how to read and play the games. She also stated that she lived in Washington, D.C. in a big building. She said she lived there with her mother, other mothers, and a few men, and some children all in this big building. When Mary was asked as to who the leader of this house was, Mary didn't know the man's name, but that she only referred to him as the game caller or the stroller. She stated that the men in the van used the computers to communicate with this game caller. So keep that in mind. This is 1987. The internet is not a thing. Yeah. It's it's almost 10 fucking years before Windows 95. Yeah, that's crazy. And they had the capability to use a computer to communicate with other computers inside their van. That's fucked that's up. That's pretty high tech intelligence. Yeah, I mean, right there, it's obviously suggestive of where it's going to go from there. She stated that they played lots of games at the building in D.C. When she was asked what these games were, they turned out to be kind of weird. One she called Whole Shirt Game. She said she would take the shirt of the one of the men that lived in the house. The shirt had holes in it. She would run away with the shirt and make more holes in it. Another game included the children taking off the clothes of men and redressing them and then searching their pockets for coins. When an investigator asked Mary if all the men's clothes were off, she stated that it was merely their jackets. Mary also stated that they were on a raw vegetable and fruit diet and that they didn't have a normal eating schedule and that they were only giving food as a reward for what she said was working. She didn't go on to elaborate what working meant. She also stated that she and the other children were weaned from their mothers after Christmas, which for somebody that little to use that term yeah. is bizarre. Upon all this information and the inability to locate the mothers of these children, they were turned over to Child Protective Services. And almost immediately, the police department were inundated with phone calls of people claiming to be the children's mothers. Not 10, not 20, not 100, but 500 plus calls of people wanting to take the possession of these six children. And this was this was before the media had even really picked up on this case. That's fucking crazy. The children had to be put into an undisclosed foster home equipped with armed guards because just as soon as the calls started coming in wanting to take the children... Hey, Hollow Cult, the weather's getting nice, and you know what that means. It's cryptid hunting season. And the first rule to cryptid hunting is good footwear. That's why we're excited to announce our partnership with Tacovis Boots. When you're out hunting the dogman or stalking Chupacabra, you don't have time to break in boots. That's why Tacovis is so nice. They have first wear comfort. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with their styles when you're out hunting cryptids. And let me tell you, their styles are on point. I've always considered getting me a pair of snakeskin boots. And their pair is mint. They also have crocodile boots, caiman boots, ostrich boots, regular leather boots. They they have it all, and it's re- it's ridiculously awesome. You can even stop by their the local Tacova store 
have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. So just imagine yourself getting a pair of legitimate snakeskin Hollow Sky branded boots. How awesome would that be? Nothing is going to intimidate a dog man like a nice pair of gator skin boots. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Threats were being made on their lives as well as a bomb threat to the police department and other foster homes in the area. Howell and Armament were taken into custody and charged with misdemeanor child abuse, and they were held on a $100,000 bond. Medical well-being checks were performed on the children before they went into the care of the foster families, and unfortunately, the two older children both showed signs of sexual abuse. Uh, from here, the Tallahassee Police Department decided to touch base with the Washington, D.C. Police Department to see if they could find out any information on the men or the children or this big building that Mary had been talking about. While they couldn't completely identify the children, the Washington, D.C. Department did make some partial identification matches that were tied to an alternative lifestyle community called the Finders that was said to be located around the Glover Park area in Washington, D.C. Now, the D.C. police had had a tip on this compound, I guess, for lack of a better term, that something fucking weird was going on prior to these arrests that were made. An informant had came forth and given information on a possible satanic cult going by the same name, the Finders. This, inf this informant had given specific businesses and locations where this cult had taken up residence, one including a warehouse where it was stated that the children were kept. The informant was very specific in stating that the cult had conducted satanic practices blood rituals, and sexual orgies, all involving children, as well as being connected to at least one unsolved murder. This sparked the investigators from D.C. Department to push forward with their investigation now that it's seemingly tied to the children found in Tallahassee. They found out that the two men arrested in Tallahassee were in fact suspected members tied to this finder's call in D.C. A telephone number that was attached to the address or there was a telephone number attached to the address and an initial, initial attempt to contact this address was made. The investigator that made the call stated that the answering machine was hooked up and no one answered, but the message was very weird on the answering machine and had a bunch of biblical passages and references on it. They decided to execute a search warrant on the two properties and two properties in D.C. One was a warehouse and one residential. Essentially, it was Washington, D.C., 3918 and 3920 West Street, with ties to this cult the day following the rest of the two men in Florida. People living in the area didn't think much about the residents living in the two properties, citing that they thought that they were just leftover hippies, but that the children were easy to identify because they slept outside and they were dirty all the time. Another piece of information that I found that I didn't get to put in here was that these neighbors that were interviewed also 
stated that they had multiple people come to their houses looking for these two um, addresses, saying that they had seen flyers in other culture or in other countries stating that 3918 and 3920 were youth hostels. That's fucking crazy. They also said that they had people come to one of the neighbor's houses claiming to be from the Chinese embassy in D.C. also looking for these addresses. So there is huge implication right there. Wild, right? Yeah, it's, it's, A, it's fucking heartbreaking just knowing that kids got hurt. It it's like the lowest of the fucking low, but right. I mean, you're not even that far into it, and the implications are already huge by the tech that was found and and location wise, and now you're linking embassies into it, and it gets like it's way worse, dude. It's fucking crazy. So, a customs agent, Raymond Martinez, was on the scene to execute these search warrants. He was able to search and access both buildings and reported finding, quote, large quantities of children's clothes and toys. There were diapers as well as clothing in the toddler to preschool range. No children were found on the premises, but there were several subjects on the premises. Only one of these were deemed connected to the finders. The rest were simply renting spaces from the said individual. The person connected to the finders was one Stuart Miles Silverstone. Silverstone was located in a room equipped with multiple computers, printers, and numerous file cabinets filled with documents. The contents of these documents were horrifying. They included details and instructions for how, quote, or how to, quote, obtaining children for unspecified purposes. These instructions included the impregnation of female members of the community known as the finders, purchasing, selling, and trading, trading children, as well as methods for kidnapping the children as well. There were telex messages using account numbers between a computer terminal that is assumed to be located in the room Mr. Silverstone was in, and others located around the United States and other many foreign countries as well. One such telex message specifically ordered the purchase of two children in Hong Kong to be arranged through a contact in the Chinese embassy. Yet another was looking into ways to obtain bank secrecy. It's to be assumed for possible payment of children without causing too much speculation. Other documents mentioned interest in untraceable high-tech transfers to the United Kingdom, numerous properties under the control of the finder's cult. There was a massive interest in terrorism as well as explosives and the evasion of law enforcement. Also discovered in the computer room were a detailed summary of the events surrounding the arrest and detainment of the two adults and six children in Tallahassee just the night before. Which there was no media involvement. And this dude already had all of the information on the arrest from Tallahassee to D.C. Indicating that someone within law enforcement at some level had alerted the finders. That's mind-blowing. Like, everybody can see the implications, you know, from where you're going. Like, it's, 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 it's fucking terrifying. They also terrifying. found a set of instructions from this game caller 
which seemed to be broadcast through throughout the entire computer network, advising participants to participants to move the children and keep them moving through different law enforcement jurisdictions and instructions on how to avoid any police attention. Um, an interesting side note I found that while digging through the hundreds of FBI files that I looked at, the warehouse location had previously been on the radar for Metro for the Metro Police Department in DC for an Intel inquiry inquiry involving classified maps of underground tunnels and sewer systems in Washington, DC. Somebody there had been trying to access those files. At the other DC address, the customs agents responsible for writing the memo also granted unlimited success or access to this building. They are quoted in saying, I was able to observe numerous documents which described explicit sexual contact, conduct between the members of the community known as the finders. I also saw a large collection of photographs of unidentified persons. Some of the photographs were nude, believed to be of members of the finders. There were also numerous photos of children, some nude, at least one of which was a photo of a child on display appearing to accent the child's genitals. I was only able to examine a very small amount of the photos at this time. However, one of the officers presented me with a photo album for my review. The album contained a series of photos of adults and children dressed in white sheets participating in a blood ritual. The ritual centered around the execution of at least two goats. The photos portrayed the execution, disembowelment, skinning, and dismemberment of the goats at the hands of the children. This included the removals of the testes of the male goat, the discovery of a female goat's womb, the baby goat inside the womb, as well as the presentation of a goat's head to one of the children, the memo stated. Further search at the location uncovered multiple files relaying the organization operating in numerous parts of the world. Locations observed and noted were London, Germany, the Bahamas, Japan, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Africa, Costa Rica, and Europe, as well as a file believed to be Palestinian, Multiple other files appeared to be specific project names or member names. These projects were believed to be operated for com commercial use and benefit under the front names for operations for the finders, just a way for them to make money to basically support all this fucked up shit. It is fucked up. As well as files of members of the finders operating in other countries. One file was titled Pentagon Break-In which seemingly could tie into the note I made earlier about the investigation of the group being tied to classified maps of the underground tunnels and sewer systems beneath D.C. Another reporting officer noted that there were hundreds of intelligence files on private families not related to the finders. This appears to be the systematic response to local newspaper ads looking for babysitters, tutors, big brothers, and etc., it's assumed that a member of the finder would respond to these ads in order to obtain as much information on the habits, lifestyles, occupation, and identities of these families as possible. The use of this information is still unknown. There were also numerous files containing information regarding child care organizations. This seemingly was confirmed by Mary in her preliminary police report. She stated that they would go to people's house and babysit, quote, unquote. She stated that this was, quote, very fun because they got to eat whatever was there and do whatever these people wanted them to do, end quote. She would not elaborate further on what that meant. 
When the investigator attempted to speak on sexual abuse, she became very evasive. She denied any bad touches or any inappropriate behavior by the adults. She became very fidgety and wanted to end the interview. The warehouse on the property contained a large library containing many books, some concerning mind control, which in another police report, it was stated that it was a small library and there was no mention of the mind control. So it's almost like you have two conflicting factions within this investigation investigation which if you which is weird because if you look in any part of conspiracy that we've talked about it always seems like there are two warring factions yeah you, you see you hear that a lot <laughs> uh, aside from the library there was also a sauna a hot tub two kitchens and what's described as a video room it's assumed that the video room was there to kind of break the new members in and indoctrinate them, you know, show them what the, the cult's all about. Although it seemed that they had the full capability to produce their own videos and send them out as well. It's reported that there were several centers set up that appeared to be training centers for the children. Various stage-like areas that were roped off from the rest of the warehouse. As well as some kind of religious altar erected in like a residential area where everybody kind of slept. It's to be noted that multiple jars, multiple labeled jars were filled with urine and feces were found around this area as well. Uh, both the residential building and the warehouse were equipped with satellite dish communication on the roofs. Jesus. Which again, in 87, that's kind of a big deal. Another report that was filed on Sunday, February 8th by the Tallahassee Police Department detailed information about a small computer found by a student at the public phone booth on the campus of Florida State University. He states that he was walking past the phone booth about 6.15 Thursday, February 5th. He saw the computer and took it home with him. On Saturday, February 7th, he took it out of its case and booted it up in an attempt to learn about who the owner was by reading information on the computer. Um, I noted that the model of the computer was similar to the one found in the van uh, in Tallahassee on the arrest. Upon accessing the files, he discovered information about the police investigation on the finders and decided to turn it over to the authorities. The police confirmed that the owner did in fact have ties to the finders it's still a mystery how this person had access to information regarding the arrest of the two men and discovery of the children essentially less than 24 hours from the initial arrest. Well, it's not a mystery. You know what happened. <laughs> you know what it happened. Is not a fucking mystery. No. You just don't know who. Uh, the specific memo ends with... This statement, U.S. Customs interests now lie in the purpose behind the inquiries to bank secrecy laws. The purpose of the organized procurement and smuggling of children across U.S. international borders. The possibility still exists that the children are being smuggled primarily or secondary for the primary or secondary purpose of being in and producing CP. Other agencies with possible interest included... The Internal Revenue Service, the Immigration and Nat Naturalization Service, the Department of Commerce, the Department of Defense, and the FBI. This is what the customs, the customs memo noted, that these other U.S. government agencies needed to look into. 
it is noted that the FBI was already involved because of the transportation of the children across state lines. According to this man's act, I didn't look into it. I just kind of took over what it's word. Attached, an attached memo from April of 1987 seems to go into further detail about how deep this really goes. This memo specifically referred to the previous memo that I mentioned earlier by date, description, the subject, the finders, and the special agent who was mentioned in it. The second memo reads, I spoke to a third party who was willing to discuss the case to me in a strictly off-the-record basis. I was advised that all the passport data had been turned over to the State Department for their investigation. The State Department in turn advised the Metropolitan Police Department that all travel and use of these passports by the passport holders regarding this case was within law and no action would be taken. This included travel to Moscow, North Korea, and North Vietnam from the late 1950s to the mid-1970s. So that's in the middle of the Cold War, and they're going to all these hot-button areas. Right. Which is crazy. Um, the individual further stated, or further advised me of circumstances that indicated that the investigation of the activities of the finders had become a CIA internal matter. The police report had been classified as secret and was not available for review. I was advised that the FBI had withdrawn from the investigation several weeks prior and that the FBI Foreign Counterintelligence Division had directed that the police do not advise the FBI Washington field office on anything that had transpired. No further information will be available and no further action will be taken. So they assume that someone at the Washington field office was. Uh, they didn't want people at the Washington field office investigating this. Gotcha. I, I didn't know if it was that or if maybe they suspected someone in the field office was corrupt. They could, they could have, but kind of going down the line, it almost seemed like they didn't want these guys digging in they didn't want they didn't want boots on the ground in washington dc digging into this oh that makes sense because it's initially located in dc gotcha yeah i failed to mention that the the guy i was quoting in the second memo was also raymond martinez he was supposed to meet with the chief from the washington dc police department i think his name was bradley but all of a sudden he had to talk to this third party they wouldn't let him communicate specifically to one another Dude, I mean, it just reeks of of government shit, you know, like just the, and it's so fucking terrible. God dang, it's so bad. And that was in, I didn't realize it was in 87. Yeah. I thought it was more recent whenever, I, well, I guess they would have been declassified more recently, yeah, right? It, was, yeah. it hasn't been too long. Golly, that's so fucking terrible. On Monday, February 9th, merely five days after the two men had been arrested at the Tallahassee Park with six underfed, unkept, and possibly abused children, the Washington Metro Police makes a statement that they had found no evidence of wrongdoing or satanic ritualistic activity. The D.C. Metro Chief of Police made a statement that the department also could not find any proof to substantiate the claims of their confidential informant either. Immediately after Florida officials announced that there was no sexual abuse or mistreatment of the children, despite earlier reports from the Department of Health and Rehab Services that their doctor had confirmed 
sexual abuse to at least two of the children. A few days later, the FBI came forward and made a statement that they had found no evidence of federal crimes or any violations whatsoever. At first, the media was in an uproar about this development, rightfully so. Specifically, the New York Times came forth and stated, The statement from the Metropolitan Police Department conflicts with accounts from the police in Tallahassee, Florida, where the children were found unwashed and hungry, and officials there say that at least two of the children had confirmed signs of sexual abuse. But just a few days later that week, all of the initial charges were dropped on all counts, and the media started to backpedal, stating that the entire incident was just a big misunderstanding. So somebody got to them. Somebody got to them. It's so fucking crazy, man. Like, it's this is like the worst of the worst right here. The worst of the worst. Yeah. Um, I've got a little bit more written, but I think I'm going to stop here because I get into the leader of the game caller of this right. cult. And that's going to be a whole nother section to itself. And right now, all I've got is just a little nugget of what this dude has been doing. So I'm going to save that for part two. And it's fucking crazy that like satanic rituals are brought into it as well, which like we were just kind of talking about on Instagram. Like <clears throat> it's so fucking weird to see how common the shit is getting and back then there was that whole there was there was a state of like they called it the satanic panic where metal bands were under attack and yeah you had the uh what was it the west memphis three where the, the little boys were found murdered and they arrested the three teenagers who were all into metal and shit and like it was just a whole big thing like the whole that whole thing was the boogeyman then which once you start hearing stories like this you're starting to wonder it was a legit boogeyman yeah but he had a bunch of henchmen working for him that are supposed to be protected it was fucking i don't care if you hurt kids you're a piece of fuck yeah, and like it's fucking and for anyone, it's ridiculous, man. For anyone to it's so defend people doing no, this. Yeah, you don't do that. And to like try to sweep it under the rug. Like it's how how deep this goes. For e for to even get to the media when when the New York Times calls you out and say, This is fucked up. And then not two days later, they're like yeah, maybe it's not that fucked up. Yeah, we all we messed up. It was a misunderstanding. You're you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. And it's you're out of your mind. It goes. You just that's just something you don't do. You don't mess with the little kids. You just don't do it. It's so like I can only do it a little bit at a time because you're reading the actual police reports. Like it went on like into the evidence of the the sexual abuse. Yeah, I ain't trying to I ain't trying to hear all that. Yeah, it's that's awful. it's like like a lot of people like I know you're you're into it, my wife's into it, like the true crime side of things and I I'm not into it. And I'll be the first one to say I don't like true crime. I don't like and a lot of it is because of shit like this. You you 
you're looking at like hardcore facts of what one person did to another and it's fucked like it 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 breaks my psyche knowing that people out there have that potential in them to do such terrible things to each other yeah like it is mind-blowing that we as people especially when you look at yourself like i know that i i don't have it in me to unnecessarily hurt people like that like this it's mind-blowing man people are fucking like i have no desire to hurt people at all people are shitty man and like the to be able to process that people there are people out there that are just fucking pure evil is hard it's just hard to process yeah and it's hard to hear about and i know that people should hear about it because you know you need to understand the signs and understand that that there are you know life is not all about rainbows and cupcakes it's life can fucking suck you know and it can be dark yep i got a whole page here of interesting uh little file tidbits as I'm digging through all of these uh, FBI releases and it's I got one labeled all I put down was like what the fuck fuck?" (laughs) awesome yeah it is it's a it's I don't know it's mind blowing and like I said we're not even into it and I can already see that where a lot of it's headed like it's a lot it's gonna be government involvement that's the only way this happens yeah like you said with the how this dude had files already on the police report Bef- yeah like come on you know how essentially as soon as they were made it's not a fucking mystery out. Yep. not a mystery what happened and the fact that he the fact that they were referring to moving the children well they're not talking about the children that were arrested because they were already in custody right how many other fucking children got swept out? Yep. Yeah, because they had feelers, man. They had people everywhere. And then once you they caught wind, they went, time to move everything, pack up, go. Yep. Some other little tidbits was that Mary stated that the children were not allowed to live inside the building. They had to stay outside in tents. The moms were allowed to stay in the building, and sometimes men visited them. She stated that the moms wore a lot of makeup and sometimes high heels. She said that she would live in tents. Um, The tents had holes in them, and sometimes snow would get through the holes. She also said that she had to cook food for her and the little kids over a candle flame. Jesus Christ, and that was stuff pulled from the actual F. That's the actual fucking heartbreaking. Files, the police files that were sent there. And a lot of the police files are hard to dig through because there's so much redacted. There's entire paragraphs pulled out that they don't want people knowing about. So it's, I don't know. It's just like earth shattering. It's, there's like not any words. When the people that you expect to go forth and prosecute these individuals and get these kinds of fucking weirdos off the street We're helping them. essentially could be responsible for them. Yeah, not only helping them, but they could have created them. Yeah. 
it's I don't know like I said I'm only 200 pages in and it's this heavy already um, but yeah so if you're still with me if you haven't bailed which I probably would have by now yeah um next week or the next episode whenever we get get to it we're gonna be diving into this game caller the mastermind behind well the mouthpiece anyway behind the finders so until we meet again check us out at all our social medias facebook instagram youtube twitter tiktok come and hang out and stay safe and stay weird and hold your kids close because there are people out there that do not give a fuck <laughs>